My next guest moved to Seattle about five years ago from New Jersey. He is a producer and an audio engineer. He is also part of a record label known as Lightwave Records. Introducing Sir Nicholas. everyone today i'm with a very special guest the one and only sir nicholas how's it going man thanks for having me yeah i'm glad to have you i i listened to your whole um, music selection i liked your beats you did by yourself the beats with other artists things like that it's um i really like your sound a lot thanks man and um on your instagram it says that you're a producer and an audio engineer yeah and um I think it's important for uh, up-and-coming artists to understand the difference between those. So I think that's my first question. Um, explain the differences between being a producer and an audio engineer. So, like, you know, uh, the way that I like to think about it is, like, production is more so complementing the vocalist. Or if it's just by itself, you know, it's <clears throat> it's just, like, painting an image for the listeners. And then audio engineer is more so just, like, tweaking the image. So, like, you get let's say you get a painting, right? And you do your initial sketch and you paint, you fill out the painting. Well, the audio engineering is more so like coming in and doing the shading and fine tuning things. So like you can take, there's like a lot of really simple beats that are really dope because they're mixed really well. And you can be like, mm. like the average listener will listen to it and be like, man, like this song is really good. But then a producer will listen to it like, damn, like there's only like four or five elements in this, but it sounds so big and it just sounds so like lush and full. And it's just like, you know, audio engineering can do wonders. Yeah, for sure. Like um, if I'm going to a concert or something, it's really, especially when I'm going to a concert, I can tell like what an artist is doing right in person and the different sounds versus when it's like over a song or anything like that. Some artists sound better live or sound worse live. Yeah. And because like I focus in on media, I can like, I really notice those like fine tuning things or even when it's like, in a fucking car, you can tell the difference if someone has subwoofers or not or anything like that, you know? Oh, yeah. And I feel like my, for me, like, you know, something's mixed well when you can play it on your phone, you can still hear the kick knock and you can hear a little bit of like the bass boom in a little bit more. And then I'm like, oh, man, if I can hear this on the phone, like I can only imagine how it sounds in good headphones. 
So what'd you start first? Were you an audio engineer or a producer? So I actually, I actually started with music, um, with rapping actually. Okay. Started rapping when I was like 12, 13 years old. And then from there I started to dabble in production cause I was just like finding like, I would download like Alchemist beat tapes and DJ premieres, like instrumentals and stuff. Like I was just heavily into sample based music. So, you know, I'm from Jersey. So I was, I grew up on like New York rap and hip hop and R and B and everything like East coast. And then I dabbled with other stuff, but I got into production through listening to Jay Dilla and flying Lotus, uh, mm-hmm. adult swim. Like I was, I remember, I remember the day that it happened because I'm watching adult swim and they had this one bump called the, uh, it was called the baggage room bump or baggage claim bump. And it was Flying Lotus' song Massage Situation. And the way the bump starts off is in black and white because like the first part of the song was high passed. And then as soon as the bass drops, it changes color. And as soon as that happens, yeah. I was just like, this is what I want to make for the rest of my life. Dude, they're basically like a fucking record label now, if you think about it. I think they actually literally are. I think you can be signed to Adult Swim. Yeah, I'm trying to remember. They have like a specific name for their record label. I'm drawing a blank on it right now. Um hmm. Damn. Yeah, but they have like they have an actual record label now, which is like they can do like those like singles, those uh, singles weekly, or I think it's like a singles week. Where they put mm-hmm. a bunch of singles and then it'll come out as a compilation. It's dope. Um, like I think Run the Jewels have done a few songs and visuals that are um, adult swim, adult swim type. Um, that um, I don't think they got credit for it, but the um, you know that song with um, X with one um, with um, Kanye? It's like one minute. Yeah. It's like a rock song, kinda. Have you seen the um, music video for that? I don't think I have. No. Ah, uh, I have asked so many people, and they haven't seen it. It's literally like a fucking Adult Swim thing. And you know how, like, um, in some shows, they're like fucking brutally violent. Oh yeah. And it's like one of those. Yeah. It's fucking insane. It's like that. Um, have you seen Mr. Pickles? Oh yeah. Uh, it's just like that's like oh, that animation. Yeah. <laughs> we've seen super jail that's like i think that's like one of like the yeah, yeah, yeah. Original, like adults from cartoons that was like hyper violent where people are like damn you know like those last se- those ending sequences for all the episodes where like just like, mad people get murked like yeah <laughs> like yo i can't even keep up mm-hmm. that animation is sick though yeah. like um my favorite director is like quentin tarantino for sure or anything that he's like associated with because he actually acts a lot too especially like, in his younger days yeah and a- anything that he touched like people's heads were definitely gonna be fucking exploding, blood everywhere. Have you ever fucking... like, not to interrupt you? Have you ever gone like, and seen any of the movies that have inspired some of uh, Tarantino's movies? Because those movies are really dope too. Like mm. a movie that ins- that was like some of the inspiration for uh, Kill Bill Volume One and Two, Lady Snowblood. Mm. You should definitely check that out. Damn, yeah, I definitely do. I am um, like samurai shit is so dope to me. Also, like I watch a ton of fucking um. Korean action movies, yeah, because those guys are fucking brutal. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah, like and like the action, like budgets are getting bigger for their movies now, so they're able to do so much. Mm-hmm. One of the top um zombie movies is called Train to Busan. Have you seen that? Son- oh man, that's so good. Did you see the prequel? There's an animated prequel. Yeah. Oh, they're coming out the second movie too. Yeah, I saw the trailer. Yeah. I think isn't it supposed to come out like later this year, early next year? Mm-hmm. That's gonna be really good too. Yeah, dude, fucking, I've been binging fucking zombie apocalypse movies, 
and um like alien shit during this whole fucking quarantine yeah same i've been actually it's funny because i've been kind of dabbling and like just you know getting lost in the sauce on youtube and i've been finding like a lot of b movies because i grew up like watching a lot of like b horror movies and sci-fi films so i'm like oh man there's a lot of like cult like classic movies uh from like i've always liked 80s because of like the, the way that they would do their fx instead of mm-hmm. using cgi they would use like uh practical effects and i think practical effects especially with like the way that the film looks back then just adds like a certain like realistic feel to it, even though obviously it's a movie, but it's like, you actually see like the way that they made somebody's head explode in the scenes. Like, damn, like, oh, like that looks super realistic, even though like, you know, it's clearly just a dummy. Mm-hmm. I like it better than what they do nowadays. Like I don't fucking like, like Avatar was a good movie, but that was just too much special effects. Shit like that. That's like where movies are headed, even though that's like, 2010 or something that's like the base of what all movies look like now fucking super animated yeah i like fucking animatronic shit better like the fucking ninja turtles or shit like that yeah or like like even like going back to like the jaw like jaws like the animatronics for jaws like stuff like that where instead like you see like all these shark movies like sharknado and all that whereas everything is cgi'd and i'm like Mm -hmm. man when it's so obviously cgi'd i kind of just disconnect from the movie because when you can, when you lose that realistic, feel, like, you know, you know you're what you know you're watching a movie. But when you kind of lose that like genuine realistic feeling to the movie, where it's like, oh man, I'm attached to like if I was in these characters' shoes, like how would I react in this situation? But when like everything looks super fake around the characters, it's kind of hard to kind of immerse yourself in the story. Mm-hmm. Like fucking um, what movie? I, what, I just watched the, like the new Lion King. Like that was supposed to be like photorealism or whatever, and I fucking hated it. Yeah, it's, I'm not a big fan of it. Like, I don't, I've never been a fan of like those animal movies where like the animals talk and like it's just like, you know, I, don't, mm-hmm. I just never was in it. I just thought, thought those was kind of corny. Like, when you just make the animal talk and stuff, and mm-hmm. I don't know, man. I, I think, um, fucking, have you ever seen Dr. Doolittle though, though? The like the yeah. ones with Eddie Murphy? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Fucking, Classic. those Classic. animals looked better. Yeah. You know? That, that, okay. So that was like one of those instances where I'm like, okay. I can see this because they also like they made it more so where they're communicating with him. It's not just mm-hmm. like animals talking to each other where it's like, I don't really give a shit what this cat's going to do in this movie. Like, <laughs> I don't know what this dog is like. There's like three dogs over here discussing something that I really don't care about instead of like interacting with like others. I don't know. I just wasn't really mm-hmm. into any other of those animal movies aside from Dr. Doolittle because those are classic. Mm-hmm. Like, come on, it's Eddie Murphy. Yeah, for sure. And the thing about B movies, I think that's why... I think I that's why I like Quentin Tarantino the best is because he like puts like A list actors in B movies, yeah, which is fucking insane. Yeah, like he does such man. He's like definitely one of those like cult classic. Like every movie he comes out with is like a cult classic, like mm-hmm. legendary, like kind of like a Stanley Kubrick of our generation kind of thing. Yeah, for sure. It's I think it's hard. It's probably one of the hardest jobs to like get recognized for being a mu- movie director. Yeah, because there's like so there's so select few that people really know by heart. Yeah, you have to like really like have. I feel it's kind of like you know when you when you hear like an artist's song and you can just tell by the sound who it is. It's like one Mm -hmm. of those things where you kind of like you got to be able to have a certain style with your movies where you can just look at the movie and be like, oh, this is definitely a Tarantino movie or this is definitely a so and so movie. Mm -hmm. I feel like some some directors don't they get a little too lost in the story. Like, if that makes sense, like they, instead of like, like focusing on how they're going to portray the story, they focus too much on the story itself. Mm-hmm. And, and so like, it's, 
not as artistic. I don't know. I want to say it's not as artistically driven, but it's just no, it's nothing that's like, okay, this is like exactly like you see these type of uh, shots play out. Like, you know, when you have see like a Tarantino fight scene, you know, mm. what kind of camera angles there's going to be or what kind of shots there's going to be because you know, Tarantino style from all his other movies, like the mm. cohesive kind of like formula that he has for his movies. And I think those kind of directors are the ones that people are like, oh, you know, this is a Spielberg movie. You know, this is a Michael Bay movie or anything like that. Like, it's almost like for his explosions. Like you got mm-hmm. kind of known for something within your work specifically for people to be like, oh, you know, to look out for that particular thing when you're watching their movie. Or mm-hmm. if you don't know it's them, you'll just pick it up. It's almost like it's a, if it's not special, it's stock, especially for movies. Like, Something that I've been really noticing lately is like big budget movies. It's stupid, but you'll see like the fucking ceiling in the shot. <laughs> but versus if it's not a big budget movie, yeah. you know it's a fucking set and they're purposely not showing above their like hairline. Yeah. What's behind them because there's no roof there. It's just a, sti- a, a set. Yeah. So that's, I've been noticing that type of stuff. Yeah. It's, it's interesting. Like the when you start to like pick up on little things, like, okay, like you can tell what kind of like, you can almost kind of tell the budget of a movie based on certain shots and scenes like, mm-hmm. or like when you see like an outdoor an outdoor shot and like the like the characters are moving and the camera's following them but you can literally like see the camera move with every footstep and it's like come yeah, on yeah. Bro, put a stabilizer <laughs> on your shit <laughs> a movie that did do well with that was fucking chronicle though i loved chronicle did you see chronicle i don't think so no i haven't seen i don't think i've seen who's in it's it's um do you know who, I think the guy's name is Dane Dehan, and then it's like Michael B. Jordan, and it's like these people find like this like alien ship. Is that what gives them like, powers? Yeah, they have superpowers. I've been wanting to see that. That's like the one where like that in the trailer that one dude goes like that, and the jeep goes flying off the side of the street. That's like behind. Them. Or is that maybe? Or is that Super Eight? I might be thinking of Super Eight. They were both kind of shot in a similar style. Okay. So maybe, but um, it was cool because it was shot in Seattle. Ooh. Well, it wasn't actually saw in Seattle, but they said it was. Like they were like, "This is Seattle," but then like it ruined it for me because like the end of the movie, the pinnacle part was like this weird statue had a play in the movie. Like what it was like this statue like had a big scene in the movie for basically, and it was like not even a real statue oh. from Seattle. I'm like, this is not even in Seattle, so I don't know why you're saying this is Seattle. <laughs> but yeah, it was crazy. It was like the the it was purposely shot terribly, kind of. But um, it was good. It wasn't like a Blair Witch. I think Blair Witch was shot off. Yeah, I was, just, I was about to ask like if it was like a found footage kind of movie. Like It was like they were shooting it as it happened versus found footage. Like one of the people, oh, I can't ruin it. It's such a good movie. <laughs> but you have to watch it. <laughs> check it out. I remember mm-hmm. thinking about that one and I was like, oh, I want to check it out. But then I kind of I kind of fell off of like watching movies in theaters. So I'm, I've been just like, you know, a streaming kind of person. Mm-hmm. Like everybody else nowadays. Do you think... Uh, theaters are going to come back i think they're kind of dunzos i mean the fact that they're well they kind of want to make a comeback and i think it's kind of ironic now that they're going through i don't know if you've seen like pictures or videos of like movie theaters like sanitizing themselves and it's like it took hmm. till covid now for y'all to start sanitizing seats in the movie theaters like all the amount of sticky like you know everybody knows everybody knows you go to a movie theater more nine times out of ten or eleven times out of nine you put your hand down on the seat and it's <laughs> Or like you like you you grab your you put your cup down on the cup holder you take take it out and go to take like take a sip from it put it back down your hand sticky because the cup touched something in the holder. Mm. So, 
fucking gross. Yeah, it's nasty. So it's like it's not. I mean, now they're choosing to sanitize everything, but at this point, the way that streaming is, and now. I think it was Disney that was like one of the first ones with Artemis Fowl where they had like a movie that was supposed to be in theaters, but they put it directly to streaming because of quarantine. Mm -hmm. I think because of that, there is a chance that they just might start moving towards streaming platforms. Like I wouldn't be surprised if some movie studios eventually started having their own apps where it's like, okay, Mm. here's a movie. Like these are movies that are, that are out now, but they're not available for streaming platforms just yet. Oh shit. Yeah. That makes sense. They did that with um, Pete Davidson's new movie too. I don't know if you saw yeah. that. Uh, did that uh, King King of Staten Island? Didn't that come out on YouTube? Um, I think it did. Yeah. Um, I saw it. I because I have a Fire Stick. Oh yeah. So I watched it on the Fire Stick, and uh, it was all right. Bill Burr was in it. I've been getting into comedy a lot lately too. Oh, I love Bill. Yeah, dude. He's fucking. Have you seen his old shit? Oh yeah, that's it's just so classic, oh, man. God, dude, it's fucking scary. Like this, he goes in. He, he goes, he goes past a point where you have to laugh because you're like, oh my god, how the fuck is he thinking of this type of shit? Yeah. Like, <laughs> it's funny because like seeing like from watching his older stuff and watching his newer stuff, you kind of see how he's kind of like calmed down a little bit. But then he'll mm. have, still have those outbursts where he's like talking about something that frustrates him. He's like, man, well, you know what? These super fucking idiots anyway. Like da da da. Yeah, because he fucking, he has a kid, he has two kids now, so, like, he had to calm down a little bit. Yeah, you know, it was a minute, like, I remember, I think he was, like, in his, like, mid to late 30s when he was, like, not married yet, and I remember him, like, talking about, he's like, man, I don't know, I don't think I want to have kids, because I think about having kids, and then, like, I go out in public, and I see these kids acting a fool, and I'm just like, I don't want to deal with that shit. Mm-hmm. When it, with, his, with his hair lost, he changed, you know? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he lost his powers. He lost his anger once the, once the red hair disappears. He's like, all right. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> I um, I just found out that he has a podcast. I was listening to that this morning. And it's so fucking weird. It's like a podcast just with him, though. He doesn't have guests or anything like that. And it's just him going on fucking rants. And it's like oh. Monday mornings with Bill Burr. And he just goes off. It's so fucking funny. You gotta check that out. Because I thought he'd have guests. But if he's by himself, that's probably even funnier than if he's mm-hmm. going for guests. He actually, I did catch one clip of his podcast because it was on YouTube. But he spoke about One Punch Man. Mm. He was saying how he really likes One Punch Man. He's like, yeah, I like One Punch Man. Because, like, you know, it's like a, a macho kind of show. They don't really have shows like that. And they kind of make fun of, like, that whole, like, stereotype of anime where characters are really strong so you know just one bald guy that just doesn't give a fuck about things just knocking th- just knocking monsters into atoms and shit i'm like damn yo bill burr fucks with one punch man all right <laughs> <laughs> i like that impression you get all tight like he does and he's like <laughs> that's, how, that's how he does it man <laughs> so with your pro- music production are you focused on getting it onto shows or anything like that like what's your overall goal with this music so I am planning on doing shows. So I started off with production, just doing instrumental work. And then I started getting more into collaborating with vocalists. So I'm at the point now where I'm, I've been practicing because I didn't know any music theory when I first got into production. So within the mm-hmm. past, I'd say like six years, seven years, I got, I've like brushed up on my music theory to the point where I feel comfortable with wanting to perform live. So I actually did put together like a little three piece band. Um, with my homie Paolo, he plays the bass, and my homie Chenzo, he's on the drums, and they're both really filthy. So like we've been like going through a couple of my songs and just practicing them live before quarantine hit. And then, um, mm-hmm. and the thing is though, so now that you know some places are starting to open, my studio is in the chop area, and now cops oh, are arresting people for going in that area. 
for but Damn. have ID. And obviously my ID, first off, my ID is still my Jersey license. So it has my my address from Jersey. So that's not going to work. And secondly, if I'm going somewhere that I'm going to be working at, my address isn't going to line up with that anyway. So I'm not mm. like, I just haven't been going over there. So we just been sending tracks back and forth to practice on. Like I'll just like break out stems and I'll send like a version without the bass to Paolo so he can uh, practice with that and send a version of the songs without the drums to Chenzo. But would you, um, would you DJ the shows or how would you do it as a producer? I would play the chords. So like I play the, the, the piano, the bass and a little bit of the drums. So I'd be like just playing the keys, the triggering, like I have like various equipment that I would trigger certain sounds with, but for the most part, I'd be playing everything out on the keys. Damn. That sounds fun as fuck though. It's a lot of fun, man. It's mm-hmm. been a long time. Cause like I hadn't really jammed with people while living out in Seattle. Cause I've been out here from Jersey for like about five years now. So I got collaborated oh. with a lot of artists, but I've never jammed with anybody with like instruments since before uh, putting this band together. And the last time I was back home in Jersey. So it was like really refreshing to like, all right guys, like we got band practice today. Like we're going to like work on these five songs and then you just get lost in the sauce. Cause then you, after a while, if there's like, getting comfortable with playing the actual song you get more comfortable with jamming so there'll be times where like we'll just practice the whole song and then at the end we'll just do like a five minute jam and you like Mm. realize like what's going on it's like oh shit man like that was dope like man i wish we were recording that (laughs) (laughs) you you remind me of someone who seems like they'd like like steve aoki or something like that i to be honest like i i was kind of eat i was into edm when i first got started with production like i do like electronic music but steve aoki was a little bit more of like the housey like fist pumping kind of edm and i wasn't really too into that like at that time i was a little bit actually more into dubstep and like Mm. french house and stuff like that like daft punk um justice i was listening to um delta heavy and you know just just like that kind of scene but steve aoki Once, like, he started doing the whole cake thing, I'm like, I don't know if I'm going to... Oh, shit. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't know about that. Going to somebody's show and getting caked, bro. That's not really the move for me. <laughs> I'm not trying to get caked and then have to walk around New York City with cake all over my outfit, living in Jersey, mm-hmm. having to ride the train back with that shit. <laughs> <laughs> it seems like with your music, it's like a... It's definitely like a vibe. It's like a... um, It's like something that could be on, like, adults film, though. You know? Like, um... How would you describe your type of production style? Um, that's, you know, I always have a hard time with that just because like I'm, I have a lot of like my focus is of hip hop, R&B and pop, but I get a lot of influences from like all kinds of music because I got it like when I first started producing, I was uh, more into sample based production. So I go to record stores and flea markets, estate sales, just buy like shit ton of records. And I was like, I have influences from like jazz, like heavily influenced by jazz. Um, I'm half Jamaican, so I got a lot of reggae uh, influences and like Afrobeat influences. And like, I don't know if you heard my song Wayside, but that has a little, a lot of that influence in there. Um, but like, I like to pick all like pick and choose. Like, I like to blend sounds together rather than like, all right, I'm gonna make just a hip hop beat today because like mm-hmm. my hip hop beats still have like jazz chords in them, and I might even throw a couple more like electronic-y sounding uh, instruments into it. So it's kind of hard to like really call like give a name to my sound i it's been like three years man and i've had a, such a hard time trying to figure out <laughs> all my sound do you think it um fits better here or back in new jersey i don't know man like i thought my sound would fit better out here but i feel like my sound kind of does fit a little bit better back 
East just because also I've been um, heavy with like, I have, I've been sitting on like a lot of like Island vibe kind of songs and I don't know too many artists out here that fuck with that. And there's a lot of Jamaicans back East. So I'm like, okay, cool. Like I have people that I can possibly reach out to back East. I would fuck with this, but out here, like I can't really, if I show this to people, they're like, cool. What else you got? And I'm like, ah, they weren't feeling uh, the beat. <laughs> I, I have some artists I could probably connect you with who'd enjoy those beats for sure. Oh, man. Hell yeah. I'm always, I'm always open to collaborating with artists. It's a big part of being an artist. You know? <laughs> people, it's interesting because sometimes people focus so much on their own solo work, which is good. Like you want to perfect your craft, but you learn so much working with other artists. Like I have like my label Lightwave. There's four of us total that are, and we're all producers. And my homie Chenzo, who's, who plays the drums in my live band, he's one of the four. But like, I probably would not have progressed the way that I have the past four years without working with my team just because you learn so much from each other. Like you learn like tips and techniques that you might not have tried. Like somebody might be really good in this kind of like really good with music theory in this regard. And I'm like, Oh shit. Like I didn't even think about it like that, but you know something that I don't. So I'm just going to sit here and be a sponge and just like absorb everything from each other. So mm-hmm. I think it's really good to have a team. Like you want to obviously perfect your own solo craft, but when you have a team, you can really build off each other and bounce ideas off each other. How'd you build your uh, label and everything? How'd that get all started? So I moved out here. So the reason why I moved out to Seattle was there was a record label that I was ba- that I was working with uh, called Underground Luxury. So I wanted originally I was going to move from Jersey to Colorado because I wanted to move somewhere that was had a good like a big music scene. So I met this label through SoundCloud from through one of my friends who had some music with them. So I started talking closely with the CEO. We started, we we hit it off, and then I was like, you know what? Instead of moving to Colorado, I'm gonna just move to Seattle because I ha- I know people out there. So I moved out here. Um, a year later, like I left that label, and I, but I had met my homie Bogey through that label. So him and I like were, were like best buds. So him and I were like, yo, you know what? Like that record label was a really trash label. Like the way that they were, they're kind of well, I don't want to like badmouth them, but they're taking advantage of artists. And then towards the end of the label, which is which caused me to leave the label, was that they weren't about the art anymore. They were just all about the money. Like the, mm. like the, the owner would be like, okay, like I'm going to sign this project. I'm not really feeling it, but we can probably make some money off of it. And I'm like, bro, like how are you going to really push something that you're not feeling? Mm. Like that doesn't make any sense to me. Like you're not going to, first off, you're not, it's not right to push something that you don't feel believe in because you're not going to put your, your all into it. So that's unfair to the artist because here they are thinking that you like their work enough to want to sign their work and that you're not putting your all into it. And that's like a thing that artists run into a lot when trying to work with a record label, because a lot of the, I want to say a lot of times, most of the time though, um, artists, I mean, labels just obviously have their, their, that dollar sign in mind. So Mm. they can try and utilize you as much as they can, but if they aren't really feeling your music like that, then they're not going to promote it the way that they should. And I just wasn't about that. So I'm like, I'm just leaving this label and just going independent tried to leave on good terms dude wasn't having it shut down the label i'm like well cool you shut down that label that's protecting other artists then so then my homie bogey and i started our label Lightwave. um and then i met my homie fezzo through a dj that i met from portland he was out here djing and my my joe my fezzo went to the show we were introduced to each other i was like yo this dude's dope and then my homie chenzo moved out here from jersey I, him and i've been no, known each other since college hmm. So what's the difference between being in a label and a collective? Or are they basically the same thing? Um, 
they're kind of the same. So the way that I like to look at it is that like a record label is more so going to be focused on solely music as well as for like a collective, like instead of just focusing, focusing on music creatives, we can focus on a larger scale of things. So like, you know, music creatives, we can work, we can like focus on graphic design work. We can focus on like cinematography. So like, you know, I've, had like a we had a couple people that were like two people that were like graphic designers for the label for a little bit so like you know trying to work with them and get some stuff done but at least with the collective i think you could be a little bit more open you're not kind of Mm -hmm. holding yourself like if you're a record label like people you think of a record label like okay cool music like they do music but a collective you're like okay they they're a little bit more than that like it's like it's like kind of like an umbrella you can be whatever you kind of want to be and do whatever you want you want to do so with a record label, do you think the money's more tight in a sense? Like with a, like how does, cause with collective, it means like basically anyone can join at any time in a sense. And as long as you follow the same morals and everything mm-hmm. and are creative, but with like a record label, you're more likely to be trying to push out albums and things like that. So you'd have to make sure you're paying everyone or because you're all friends. Does that mean you guys are just helping each other out and rubbing each other's back or? Um, I mean, for each other, like we all know that if we're working with each other's stuff, like the label is going to get that money first and then we're going to pay ourselves. Like if like whatever leftover there is, but when we're working with other people outside of the label, then we, we always like pay them up front or like, you know, pay them up front for whatever their work is. And then depending on the contract, we can have like a, a thing where depending on like what it is too, like they'll get a percentage of the back end of like sales on it. Like, let's say like if I were to use somebody's design, if I were to pay an artist uh, to use a design for like merchandise, I would, I, me personally, and you know, it goes different for other people. I would pay the artist up front and then have a percentage, like do like, okay, this is what I'm going to pay you up front. And then this is a percentage at the back end. So you get a percentage of sales because for me, like I don't, I like to try and be a little bit more coll- collaborative with people I work with. And mm-hmm. I like to be friends with somebody before I try to work with them just because like also it takes down any egos and you can be more upfront with each other. Like if I'm working with an artist in the studio and I'm playing a chord progression and they're not really feeling it, I don't want them to just sit there and, and just like take it. <laughs> take it. And then like, then like when I'm outside the studio, I'm like, Hey, you've been right into like, Oh yeah, I didn't really have time or uh, I'm busy. Like, I'm like, well, if you, if you didn't like the beat, just tell me you don't like the beat. Like I that at least like, when we break down that ego thing, like, you don't, you know, you're not going to hurt my feelings. Cause at the end of the day, we both want the same thing, which is a great song. Mm-hmm. So we should be able to tell each other that, like, if I think you can deliver that line better and I know you can deliver that line better because we've worked together before, I'm going to tell you, you can deliver that line better. And I know you're not going to take it the wrong way because I'm not like, yo, you're trash, bro. Like, blah, 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 blah. I'm like, no, like, yo, go back in and do that line. I know you can kill that a little bit harder. All right, cool. Mm-hmm. And like, you know, that's that. No, feelings think- hurt. Right. Do you think that um, Seattle artists are all that business business oriented as being as a record label as you guys are? Or do you think it's harder to find people who have like a strict outline of how they're going to succeed in music? These are the steps. These are people want to work with. This is how much I charge. Or do you think more people are kind of maybe in a sense free falling and just grabbing on to, oh, you like me, so maybe I can work with you? Um. I would say like from my experience, I'm not saying like this is like how every artist out here is, but from my experience, um, 
there's not too many artists that are business savvy. So I feel like sometimes they either like step on their own toes for certain things because they didn't know the verbiage for something or they weren't completely understanding of it or they just didn't know that they could do a certain thing to help them get to the next the next level mm -hmm. um like there's art i think another thing too is artists watch bigger artists too much where they're like oh well so-and-so is doing this so if i do that then i already kind of sound like that person so if i do this like do what they're doing then i'll get that same same success but it's like no it doesn't work for everybody like no like drake like drake can take a year or two off and then drop a single and then people flock to it immediately like as if he never left but if you don't have if you don't have that huge of a fan base and you put out a project or like a like a single in september and then you don't do anything until august and then you drop a single without any promo you can't really expect it to blow up like a drake song yeah <laughs> another thing too with like the whole business savvy thing is a lot of artists i, I want to say a lot because there's there's a lot that do actually promote their work but there's so many artists that drop songs and then that's that like they'll drop a song there'll be a couple posts about it on instagram but they haven't re reached out to any blogs they haven't reached out to like podcasts or radio stations or anything to like okay like what else can i do now because i say when it comes to making a song obviously like a huge factor is the song itself, like how good the song is, but like the other like 60% of that is your marketing. Like you can make a dope song, but nobody's going to know it's a dope song if you don't put it in front of people. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's for sure. I, I've, what I've noticed with you and um, your rec label is that you guys have a lot of blog posts or um, interviews and articles written about you guys. How'd you guys go about doing that? Um, Just reaching out to, like there's some, like there's some, um, like, I think there is uh, the interview that we have with Voyage or Voyage magazine. We got that through um, through our homie, Justin Hale, because he had did an interview with them. So then they reached out to us because of a project that we had worked on with him. But most of the time, it's just like emailing. Like, I'm just sitting, I'll be, I'll have like days, like times within the day that I'm like, okay. And I like, to, like, I, this helps me be on top of myself. It's like, okay, these, for this block of time, I'm going to, hit up a bunch of blogs this block of time i'm gonna grab a bunch of emails from youtube channels and submit these songs and then like i'll write up like you know a little epk or like a press release to try and like hype up the song make it more appealing because also like you don't want to just like email somebody like a, you don't want to email just a, like a blog just the song like hey just drop the song let me know what you think like you want to you know have a package presented for them because at mm -hmm. the end of the day if you're submitting to something to like a blog for example or a magazine if you already come to them with like stuff that they can just literally copy and paste and then maybe add like their own words to the article. They're, they're more prone to picking you up than if you just said like, Hey, here's my song. And they're like, Hey, do you have a bio? Do you have this? Do you have that? They're like, Oh, I didn't think of that. They're like, Oh man, like it's going to take a little bit longer or sometimes they might not respond. Cause I've had that mm -hmm. happen before I had made like a press release for one of my songs. I'd hit up a blog. They're like, Hey, like we really like your song. Do you have a press release that we can use for like an article? I'm like, Oh, I don't like, like let me make one but then they didn't even respond because at like right there and then i didn't have one so they're like well next on to the next song next submission mm. yeah i think that's important for artists to understand that there's different levels of press different ways to get press and it's all important mm -hmm. especially i think this, i know this is kind of silly but it's important to be verified on instagram just because of the looks you know that's really important honestly which sucks but it does and one way that Instagram makes sure 
they make sure that they can verify you is that you have articles written about you on the internet mm-hmm. so you're not just some random person who's like just posting pictures of flowers and hoping that they're going to get verified you have to have a name of some sort be verified over the internet you know um, you have to be engaging with your audience so that's why you don't really see people with like a hundred followers getting verified mm-hmm. and engagement is a huge thing too like a lot of, like i feel like some people don't understand like it sucks having to sit on your phone or having to sit on the computer for like hours at a at a time, just talking to people on the social media, and especially with what everything going on in the world. Like there's a lot of ignorant shit that's on the internet that you don't want to see because it's like, damn, I don't want to, now I got that in my head. Like, I don't want to hear it. Like I, you know, it's like a lot of shit, there's a lot of factors. And um, I feel like sometimes, damn, now See, I thought of that, and now I just lost my train of thought. <laughs> um, damn, I'm sorry. What was the, what was the question again? Because of me, oh, no, no. <laughs> I just um, I just wanted to focus on like how important it is for artists to understand to get articles articles written about them, um, being engaging on Instagram, all these other social media platforms, things like that. Yeah, like engagement's a huge thing. Like you know, just saying like hitting up somebody who follows you and just being like, Hey, thanks for following me. Like, appreciate the support. Don't, mm-hmm. you don't need to even drop your links in that. Just say like, be personable with people responding to comments on your posts. Like that's a huge thing because people are like, okay, cool. That makes people want to reach out to you more. Like that's going to make mm-hmm. people more prone to commenting on your post because they see that you're responding to all the comments. They're like, Oh, cool. If I say like, Hey, I love this new song you just dropped. You're probably going to respond. And people sometimes need like somebody that whose music that they're into or whose art that they're into or somebody that they appreciate. Sometimes they're having a shitty day and that response can make somebody feel better. And then they like you more because it's like, they're more, they're actually a regular person. They're not just a face on Instagram with, with a couple of thousand likes or followers or whatever the case may be. Like this is a genuine person. Mm-hmm. Building up an organic following is really important. That's why you can see even like freaking washed up rappers still able to go on tour because they have that following even no matter how big or small it is they can still make money off that following yeah there's like like it's crazy too like kind of on topic but kind of off topic but like there's artists that like don't have that much of a following out here that have a huge following somewhere else like they might have a huge following in in a different country and also Mm -hmm. okay you can utilize those listeners and and then help it spread out to countries nearby there like i've met artists that I've never heard about here, but then like I go on Spotify and they have like almost a million listeners and I'm like, damn, they got almost a million listeners. You go into their about and you go to see the countries like, Oh damn, this is like all like European countries or Asian countries. So like, don't pigeon yourself. Don't pigeonhole yourself to just the U S market because there's a lot of countries that are fucking with music way harder than you would think. Mm-hmm. Like I remember, I sorry. I was just going to say, like, um, countries outside of the U.S., they don't really, what we might not find to be good music, they might think is really good. Yeah. Yeah. And, like, you got to think, like, the U.S. music market is, like, the biggest market in the world. Like, if we're being honest, like, so many countries pull influences from from U.S. music. Like, if you listen to, like, you know, hip-hop. There's hip-hop and other, there's rap in other countries. Where did rap come from? They didn't come from that country. There's a lot of stuff that's, like, you know, they are influenced by American culture. So I think it's good to like also be aware that if you, you might not, somebody might not have a huge following in Seattle, but then they start de- like targeting their ads on Instagram to like 
Japan. All of a sudden, there's like, yo, where all this? Where is all this engagement coming from? Oh, this is I didn't realize that people in in Japan would like this so much. Like, mm-hmm. I had um, when I used to work at this gym in South Lake Union, I used to have this one regular, this old guy, old white dude, that is like seventies, used to come in and he used to manage a Jamaican band, like a reggae band, uh, back in the seventies, and he said that they. He's like, dude, we never even had to come to America because they would just tour Japan and like other countries close by. Because he's like, when we would go to the Japan, walking through the streets, it was like you think you were with the Beatles. How huge they they would get rushed and shit. I'm like, damn man, like, like that's just like one country that they're getting treated like that. So it's like, you might not. There's people that have like millions of followers in the U.S. that you would have never known that they had a million followers because you never heard of them before. Mm-hmm. It's crazy, especially the people behind the scenes. Those are the people you want to connect with. Like even people like you, you know, being an audio engineer, producers, that stuff is all really important to know those people. Oh yeah. Because like you you work with somebody who's also like in like in the same field with you. You guys get like are cool enough, you guys vibe enough. They might introduce you to somebody that you'd never thought you'd work with. Like mm-hmm. you you meet like a like for me, if I were to meet like an audio engineer that like I respect their work and I like their work. And then like one day we're hanging out in their studio and then so-and-so walks in the door and I'm like, Oh shit. They're like, Oh yeah. By the way, like, let me introduce you. Like, oh, <laughs> yeah, like I didn't think that like, you know, just being genuine with people mm-hmm. and just reaching out, just collaborating. Collaboration is huge. How do you build your name up as a producer? Is it because of like how many artists you work with, the level of artists you work with? Cause I feel like producers are a thing that everyone needs no matter who they are. Like even Kanye West needs other producers versus just himself. So everyone always needs a producer. So is it harder to become a well-known producer that way or because everyone needs one, it's easier? Um, well, it's tough because now with like the, like the, beat, the beat market is so saturated now, especially with like websites with like BeatStars and um, there's like another one that I forgot the name of that we used to use, but you know, it's great. It's great that now there's a, there's places sound click was one, one that I used to go on to like years ago when I first got into music, but like, it's great that there's places that people can go and sell their production, but now it's so easy for people to sell their beats that it kind of, it's kind of killing the marketplace in a little bit because now you get people selling beats for like $20 and now you get like somebody were to go to like a, semi big producer not like saying like you know not going up to like a timberland type producer but they go up to like mm-hmm. an artist that has some big placements that artist is like oh my beats three thousand dollars they're like well i could have got that same beat on beat stars for thirty dollars it's like well get that beat on beat stars for thirty dollars like go put that po- <laughs> put that money in that producer's pocket then mm. yeah it's i think it's um a lot of these artists that do make it big though like producing wise i feel like they if they if they continuously work with a certain group of people, whether it's like continuously work with like a Dr. Dre, and then can 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 connect with people that are part of that, things like that, I feel like you, that's a big way to get built up. Like um, Murder Beats, for example, like him working with like Drake and everyone like that. Yeah. Now everyone knows who he is. Oh yeah. Well, I always think it. I think it's good to like obviously collaborate with other producers, but also like. I think it's like super key for artists to have like their go-to producer or go-to engineer. Because like, <clears throat> like look at you know look at Drake and and uh, and Forty, like they worked together for so long that Forty knows exactly what keys sound best for Drake, what BPM sound best for him, where his vo- vocals should sh- should sit in the mix, and how to mix the instruments accordingly. 
So it's like you've worked with somebody so long, you know their sound exactly. So you know, like after a while of working with that artist, that artist can expect consistent sound. And like, obviously if you're good at what you do, they're gonna be like, all right, cool. Like I know I'm gonna go to this guy. Their sound is really good. And they know my voice well enough that my mixes always sound the way that I want them to. And it kind of helps you develop, helps the artist develop their own sound because then they can start getting a feel for what beats they sound best over. Because sometimes not all beats are for everyone. Like I, I feel, especially for my, my production, like the type of my production is very like specific towards certain artists. Like I don't make beats that like anybody can hop on. And I'm aware of that. Cause I used to not be aware of that where I was just like, show anybody my beats and like, they might like the one that I thought was trash. And then I'm like, wait a second. So they, there's a market, there's like a marketplace for everyone. There's like, there's a fan for everything I should say. So also like it's super selective where not everything is for everyone. And I had to learn that a little bit the hard way with being like, okay, listening to like, that's why there are tight beats for artists. So if somebody has a sound similar to Travis Scott, they're going to go look up Travis Scott type beats. They're not going to go look up a, a DJ premier type beat if they want some 808 bass in there. Why? <laughs> What's the hardest part of being a producer? Um, It's a good question. Not that I'm not saying that like being a producer is super easy, but I guess like if you, as long as you're doing something that you enjoy, like thoroughly, like you're super passionate about is kind of like, I say like the hardest thing is just like writer's block, honestly, like with the protests and everything that was, that's been going on, like for the, like as soon as they started, like two weeks, I was just like no creative flow couldn't think of anything to like write to and I just wasn't in the mood to work on music I'm like I am not in the headspace like I need like I need to be at the protests I need to be like shredding as much accurate information as I can like my mind was just completely off music and I'd say getting back into working on music was tough because of having such a writer's block and I'd say like I did like I got started working on music again like a week and a half ago and I just got back into like my actual creative flow like two days ago Mm -hmm. so I say like block is the toughest thing and being part of those Facebook groups is helpful too, probably. Like, um, get inspiration from them, seeing what they're doing also. Mm-hmm. Like, that's how I found you, you know? <laughs> you found me. Yeah. It worked out well. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, being a part of, that's like, you know, being a part of the community and like showing, not like, I want to say show face, because sometimes show face, people think of that as like, you just show up somewhere just to say that you were there and then you're out. But more so like, you know, being involved, I should say. Mm-hmm. So how did you get your studio in uh, downtown? Like that, you, is it uh, just your record label that's part of there down there, or so? How does that all work? Our studio is in a space called Crybaby Studios, right on Eleventh and Pine. So, um, like it's just, it's like a rehearsal space for bands. So there's like I think thirty something rooms down there. I could be yeah. uh, underestimating it. Excuse me. There's a lot of rooms down there. But uh, we we just like got one of the, the larger rooms down there. It just happened to be at the right time. We like re- we clean up the walls because like, you know, it's a band space and it's a lot of grungy bands down there. So the spot that we had went into, it was like painted black walls with like white chalk drawn like all over the place. And it's like mm. webs and shit. I'm like, damn, this is like a dungeon. I like this vibe, but we got to clean this. <laughs> so like we like cleaned it up, repainted everything. We built up, we built a vocal booth, which is fucking tough as it is. But we built a vocal booth, got it all set up and shit. And now we've been down there for like almost two years now. Oh, wow. 
So Crybaby Studios is like a does it own like a whole building and it's just like they're more so. Um, I think I want to say the guy that owns. So we have a landlord, but the person who actually owns it, I think, owns the whole building. But Crybaby mm-hmm. Studios is only like a basement. So I don't know if you know where like Grimm's and um, uh, Queer Bar are on Eleventh mm-hmm. Line. Um, it's literally like uh, Grimm's. If you're like looking at Grimm's right here, on the left hand side of Grimm's is like a black door. And that's just mm. like the entrance to Crybaby Studios. So kind of, I feel kind of bad sometimes taking, especially like girls down there, like female, female <laughs> singers, because I'm like, it's not what it looks like. I know this is a sketchy black door, and we're going under this building, but I promise you, like, that w- this is legit. <laughs> R. Kelly's not down there. Yeah, R. Kelly. <laughs> Damn, that's crazy. I think there's some really cool studios in the downtown area and outside of downtown for sure. Mine's, mine's on Second Avenue, so oh, it's oh. a. I've been kind of staying away from. I haven't been there for like three months now, which sucks. I used to go there all the time, but I've been staying away also because of the fucking protests. Yeah, so that's that must be difficult for you too. Yeah, because like I, I live like five minutes away from the studio, so it's like you know I live right in the midst of where the protests, where, where Chop is, but the studio is like right in there. So it's like it was when before the cops had taken over and closed everything off, like it was just tough getting over there. Cause like, you know, I'd be in the protest and I'm like, I don't want to leave the protest to go down to the studio right now. Like it just doesn't mm-hmm. feel right. So I'm like, well, studio doors right there. Cool. I'm right here. But <laughs> um, it's especially tough now with the cops harassing people the way that they have been over there. Like trying to like threatening to arrest people still hiding their badges and shit. So it's just not even worth trying to go over there. It's kind of tough. And like people are like, I've had clients like reached out after like I had made an announcement that the studio was opening again. And then they're like, Hey, like, can we come down for studio time sometime soon? And I'm like, yeah, I wish you could, but you know, with everything going on in chop, people weren't feeling super safe. And I've had, you know, I, I having other POC, uh, like artists that I'm working with, they don't feel safe coming around an area where the cops are fucking harassing people. So I'm not going to obviously put them in harm's way of like potentially getting harassed, walking up to a, a sketchy black door. Mm-hmm. They're going to the basement of a building. <laughs> <laughs> so what are your projections on what's going to happen in the next few months with the virus, music? Like, how, how are you feeling about everything? I think honestly, like, I think music's going to thrive because I think the good thing with music is that they can adapt. Like I've noticed, especially with like hip hop, hip hop is really thriving right now. And unfortunately for like EDM DJs, they have it tough because their their sole income and like the way that they really get their name out there is doing shows and DJing. Because there's a lot, like I'd say like a good portion of DJs don't produce. So if they can't just be at home working on music, producing or like putting out music in the downtime, it, like if they're not performing shows, they're kind of fucked. Um, I think that with the, with the fact that we have streaming and uh, like live streaming, like Twitch and, and Mixer and all that, I think it's really cool that you people can utilize that to still perform. So I think that music, as far as performances go, I think it's going to, they're going to, they should, they could possibly utilize live streaming for shows. Because I've noticed there have been like live streamed festivals that have mm-hmm. been getting some good feedback. So they might go that route for a couple months because I do not think we're in the position to be opening up. Like they just discovered the bubonic plague in China. Fuck yeah, I saw that. 
So it's like, man, like y'all think that we're just because these fucking Karens and Kens want to open up these hair salons and beaches and shit. Y'all think that it's a good time to open? Y'all got it fucked up because we're about to dig our own graves if that's the case. Yeah, they've made this fucking disease way too political. Yeah, and, bro. Um, like to the to the point that like not but they made it political so it's like there's two, there's a good thing and a bad thing with it it's like it's a bad thing obviously because it's spreading the fucking virus more because you get all these idiots that are huffing and puffing about not about not wanting to wear masks so they're going out in public huffing and puffing in people's faces about the shit and then but you know who to look out for because when you see those fuckers you know okay that's i'm <laughs> supporter right there they clearly think right. it's not existing. So I know to stay, keep my distance for them because I might have to fold the fool like a lawn chair if he says the wrong shit to me right now. <laughs> what do you think about fucking Kanye running for president? I think it's not, I don't think it's. Bro, I hope he's serious with that shit because I'm seeing people posting like they would vote for him. And I don't, I hope they realize what that means if they vote for him because I know he had like said that he's not about Trump, but I don't know, man. You don't just be wearing a MAGA hat for mad long and then all of a sudden switch sides. Yeah, I think there's too many things at work, honestly. Yeah, like there's so many. It's just suspect, man. Like Trump is, Trump is, his numbers are so down right now. Why the fuck would Kanye need to come out and say that he's going to run for president? Because maybe he thinks he has a shot. I don't know. I feel like fucking he could use the race card and be like, oh, Trump was so racist. Now we need black lives matter and everything you should vote for me you know like it could be a weird thing plus he has a lot of fans i know like man like that's another thing because his fans are like i'd say his fans are close to like like beyonce fans fuck yeah the beehive bro like i don't even know what Kanye west like stands call themselves like like easy easites or something easites (laughs) (laughs) but like I have a feeling that if they vote, for, if uh, if enough people vote for him, it's not going to be a good look because I have I my personal belief is that it's to draw attention to draw votes away from Biden. Mm. He's homies with Trump. Like just because you denounce somebody out in public, don't mean that you don't hang out with dude behind closed doors. Because Trump yeah. has a, he still won't admit that he was hanging out with Epstein. Meanwhile, there's fucking pictures all over the place. So it's just like, man, I don't know. You already associated with him, so that's already you already tainted that. So, like, the fact that you're like, oh, I'm not homies with him, but now I'm running for president, even though his numbers are low. Like, that shit just, shit don't add up, man. I wasn't good no, at that no. school, but I know how to add, and that shit. I don't know. This virus is weird, too. Everything's just adding up to a weird fucking shit show of 2020. And 2020 is, like, not the year. Like, everybody's like, this is the year of clarity. Yeah, it is the year of clarity, because a lot, a lot of people are showing their asses this year. Yeah. I think... I don't know. I thought people were doing a lot of thinking about themselves during this, you know, like looking inward and being like, oh, I can change this way. Mm-hmm. And I think it was for the first month. And then people were like, okay, fuck this. <laughs> you know, like I think, I don't know. I don't, I feel like there's a less and less positive optimism you can take out of what's going on. Yeah. It's, like you see, like here's the bright side, but now I feel like the bright side's getting like smaller and smaller and we're just getting fucked. And then people are going to, vote whether whoever it is just because they're scared or annoyed those are both two types of emotions you don't want to vote on vote for you know like you don't want to be scared into voting you don't want to be so annoyed that you're voting because out of anger yeah like i don't i I don't think that 
should be any emotion with voting like you should there should like you should look at the facts like people put too much emotion into like politics mm-hmm. like put they put emotion and they put religion into politics and you can't look at it like that like you got to look at it like straightforward like yeah you somebody might believe this like have a belief about this particular thing but like if you're not looking at the bigger picture then like you're not really like you don't really know what's going on like there's people there's oh, man like you know having to cut friends off because they're looking at the wrong thing of the bigger picture like people that like living in this area having to cut people off because they think that business is getting damaged even though there wasn't really any damage to any businesses in capitol hill that business is getting damaged like it's more important than the people dying for the cause they're like oh well i hope that they I hope those lawsuits against the city win, blah, 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 blah. That's what happens for destroying my city. It's like, bro, first off, what have you even done for the community for you to warrant that kind of entitlement? Because clearly going out to bars and restaurants ain't supporting the community like you fucking think it is, my dude. Like people, <laughs> like that shit, like, oh, man. And Yes, I see it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, getting, I'm sweating right now. <laughs> <laughs> You gotta you gotta be on my second podcast. I have a second podcast called BBC, Blake Burton Conspiracies. Hey, and we talk and I have a co-host for it, and we talk about like a specific topic, conspiracy question, and we just go in on it. And we definitely we're gonna have you on it. Oh, we're gonna go in. <laughs> I'm definitely like I'm like you know I try to. I don't like to talk unless like I have something to really talk about. But sometimes, man, like some people say some shit where I'm like, bro, you really think like that, like. This is your thought process. How can this person be a person of color and say that these things happening to another group of, of people of color, they deserve it because they fucked up your, your community. Like somebody like that person just died on like I five a couple of days ago from getting hit by a car. And he, Dude, that was insane. and somebody on Facebook saying that, well, they shouldn't be in the, in the, uh, the highway protesting. They could be protesting out like other ways. Okay, first off, bro, the the highway was closed. Secondly, the dude went up a diff, like an exit ramp to get on there. So how are you gonna mm-hmm. say that that's their fault? Like, that's like so fucking closed-minded. Like people piss me off, bro. Ugh. But you're you're from the you're from the outside looking in though. Like you moved from New Jersey, and I'm guessing you lived there for a decent part of your life. So to come here that how people think is really different compared to the rest of the world almost Mm -hmm. because especially because we're supposed to be seen as people who are really Mm open-minded but then you kind of see the open-mindedness almost closes your mind (laughs) if you get it because like the thing like i thought like you know that's a big thing of why i moved out here because i thought like you know they're super open-minded in seattle like it's very progressive like my stuff my sound of music will fit well over here but then you realize that like people are open-minded to however large their mind can get within the bubble that they live in. Like they can be like, they, everybody's in a bubble, like not everybody, but there's a lot of people in a bubble that they can only be so as far open-minded as their bubble allows them to be. And then once it hits that limit, then they're just like, well, fuck this. Like I'm not feeling like in my safe zone. Like I can't, I don't feel safe at night walking to bars and restaurants. It's like, well, first off, how do you think these other people are feeling? They're supposed to feel safe when cops are around, but the fucking cops are harassing them. And you're over mm. here thinking like cops aren't all bad because you have a couple friends who are cops. I have a friend that's a cop too, and I'm still saying fuck the police. You know, fucking Karen started in Washington. Oh yeah, bro. Like, I'm surprised. My, like my, that's... Girlfriend, my girlfriend works in a hair salon, bro. 
And the amount of stories that she tells me, like, I don't even, I get, I get more upset about the shit than she does. I'm like, yo, man, like, I could not. Like, I wanted, I want to work at her spot for a couple of days just to talk shit to people. But at the same time, I'm like, I don't want to fucking have to listen to that shit because like it's it's mind-boggling how closed-minded and ignorant people can be and how entitled especially after a pandemic like people getting upset that like a hair like somebody is out of somebody can't come to an appointment or somebody can't be at their job because they are could be sick and people are getting upset and not understanding like we're in a pandemic right now like if you're trying to set an appointment for something and it gets canceled or you cancel it and you can't do it at that time there's a thousand other people trying to get appointments for things right now. So you're going to real have to realize and accept the fact that you might not be able to get your thing done. It's either you get your thing done this day or you get your thing done in a couple months because there's mm -hmm. a thousand other people that are waiting to do that same shit. And people are just not understanding at all. Like people walking into places like, you know, it's so bad how like an understanding people have to be for your governor to be like, okay, <clears throat> okay. Y'all need to, either like businesses either need to turn people like you need to wear a mask or businesses have to turn people away because so many people are like nah and there's even businesses that are just like yeah it's whatever like you know they can wear a mask if they want or they can't or they don't have to it's like well so when you start getting sick and your liquids your your lungs turn to liquid do you really do you are you really want about that dollar like, like that like i don't get people's like that's it goes back to like turning shit into a political thing like they turned coronavirus into a political thing and it's like it's not like this is a life or death kind of thing this ain't political this ain't a choice you have to fucking do this or die or run the chance of other people dying look at the fucking numbers right now they're blowing up like fucking florida had like ten thousand cases the other day bro tell me how there's more cases in florida than fucking france my dude how do we have more cases in a single state than a whole ass country has <sighs> that makes no sense to me that makes no sense. But if you look, all the all the states that are having these numbers skyrocket are all Trump supporting states. Mm. <laughs> so it's like, oh, it makes sense. Like, of course, these fucking idiots are going to be like, oh, yeah, you know, I'm just going to go out to the bar and not wear a mask because Trump said it's OK. okay. <laughs> and look at his look at his his administration. Look how many people closer and closer. The fucking the uh, what is it called? Six degrees of, of covid. So this person got it. Somebody else got it. It's just getting closer and closer. And sooner, sooner or later, his ass, you never see his ass with the mask on. Sooner or later, he's going to get that shit. People already try to say he's already had it and like already has a vaccine or some shit. Every, there's so many different fucking conspiracies on everything that's going on. But it's, it's... Yeah, man. I don't know, man. I just know that this thing is real. I know that I've turned down going to parties. I know I've turned down doing interviews in person. And I know I've turned down hanging out with big groups of friends, even if it's not a party, even if it's just going out to lunch at a park. I know I've turned down that because this shit is real. It's real. And serious, kids are starting to get it now too, you know? Yeah. yeah, man. Like kids are getting it. Like teenagers are getting it. Like I saw a couple of days ago, <clears throat> some random person had tweeted that their friend who was only 23 got it. And then within two days they died. Mm. And it's like, man, like you don't, People don't realize how serious this shit is until somebody they know or somebody close to them gets it and god forbid they die from it then is this shit still fake to you are you gonna go to their grave and fucking talk at their at their funeral and say i don't know what they died from but it's sad that they died fucking stupid fucking stupid well sir nicholas is there any advice 
they have for up and coming artists, creators, influencers? Um, be consistent. I know it's tough right now with everything going on in the world and it's kind of, it's tough to get your creative juices flowing, but when you're able to just be consistent, like put all your emotion into your, your craft and just keep doing what you're doing because you know what, at some point you do, you keep you, consistency will help you get there one way or another. Just keep doing, sure. doing, be a good person about it, be genuine with it. And you know what, you'll see the fruits of, of your, of what's going on, of what you're doing. Mm-hmm. And everyone's grinds at a different time and point in time. Like, um, not everyone's going to make it at the exact same time. Yeah. Some people make it faster. Some people it takes longer. Yeah. You like, got to be with it. Like, don't think of success as instant gratification because you might be working on music now and then you might not blow up for another five, ten years later. But at least you had fun doing it, and you know, you keep on doing it. You're gonna, you're gonna see something from it. Like, don't think that if you keep on doing music or keep doing whatever you're doing, that it's gonna, it's not gonna work out just because you haven't seen like immediate success right now. Like, you know, you keep on doing little things here and there, and it's just gonna add up. It's just gonna keep on adding up. So, just being consistent and just grind as hard as you are comfortable with. Don't be super lax and just like put shit out and expect it to blow up on its own. But also like you know, don't stress yourself out about it. At the end of the day, like you're doing what you love. Don't don't turn it into a stressful situation because then you'll fall out of love with it, and you'd never want that with something that you plan to do for the rest of your life. Mm-hmm. Great point. Great point. What is the easiest way to reach you? So I'm on Instagram and Twitter under Sir Nick Official Nick with N I C. And then I'm going to start being on Twitch probably this week. Um, if you follow me on Instagram or Twitter, I'll be posting those links. I'm going to be starting a Patreon. I'm actually working on some uh, loot packs today for my Patreon. So I can start doing, you know, like having people be a part of like my community where I can. There's, there's going to be various tiers. I'll go into that uh, later on. But pretty much, you know, getting more music creatives together. Um, I'm going to have like, you know, Q&As, beat critiques. Uh, live streaming like collaborative sessions with artists so people can get a feel for like the workflow that i like to go through with working with other people so you're not gonna be like twitching um is that what you call like when you're on twitch are you saying i'm twitching or (laughs) (laughs) i'm twitching bro Uh, i just say live streaming just like on just live streaming i'm twitching out bro (laughs) twitching right now man gotta talk to you later (laughs) So you're not going to be doing like video games. It's going to be mostly focused on like music and everything like that, like tutorials yeah. or. Yeah. So I'm going to be, um, so pretty much like how my live streams are going to go. The first part of it is going to be making a beat from scratch. So just like going through my workflow of, of my, of producing. And then, um, the second part of my live stream will be like Q and a, so I'll still have like, so the way that I have my setup is, is I'm pretty much set up like this, but you can also be able to see my my Ableton screen and I have another camera that's showing my keyboard. So while I'm playing keys out, you can like get a feel for like the chords that I'm playing or see like what I'm doing with my my right hand for melodies or, you know, whatever the case may be, be more involved with like the, the product, like the creation of the, of the, of the beats. And then the second part would be like Q and A, like they can pick my brain about certain things within what I'm doing right now, or they might have an, like a question about compression or they might have a question about music theory and I can just like, you know, talk with the chat group, the, the chat about that. Damn. That actually sounds really fucking dope. And then you got to find a way to throw that, throw that up on YouTube afterwards. Also. Oh yeah. Yeah. I'm going to um, have, 
I'm going to try and I'm trying to like figure out like how to be a little bit more uh, strategic about it. So some of like the things that I'll be streaming on my Patreon, I won't be streaming on my Twitch and vice versa. So like when I'm streaming on Patreon, like I'll be streaming like um, my Patreon will be more so when I'm working with other artists so that people can see like my create my collaborative flow. And then when I'm mm-hmm. Twitch live streaming, it's going to be me working solo, like building everything from complete scratch. Cause sometimes when I'm working with another artist with, with those Patreon streams, it might be a song that we've started already. And it's just like, okay, like they're recording these parts or this is a, these, there might be sections where we're both working on the lyrics together or the, the melodies. Damn. Uh, and then I'm going to, you know, it takes little snippets, like, like little important bits and put those on YouTube as well. Mm-hmm. Like Joe Rogan clips kind of. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Damn, that sounds really dope, man. And um, I hope that down the road, once this thing clears up, we can meet at each other's studios and collab more and stuff like that. Because okay. um, collaboration in Seattle is very key anywhere, but especially in Seattle. Because right now we all have to bring this community together. Yeah. I mean, connecting with the audience. Like normal people who don't do music in Seattle need to understand what the Seattle music scene's about. And the Seattle music scene has to explain that in a way that makes them want to connect with them better. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, especially with, uh, like, I don't, I don't, I don't want to run your runtime over, but especially with like, um, like Amazon, Amazon workers or like people that work in like the tech industry, like those people don't know what's going on with the music industry, like the music scene out here. So like that's why like those people only go out to bars and restaurants. They don't really know too many like venues or what's the up and up in the music scene. So definitely like reaching out to like those kind of groups on Facebook. Like there, there's you know there's Facebook groups for all kinds of companies with their for their employees you join that group and you drop like a flyer for a show like a virtual like a, a live stream and show in there they're like oh shit or like you know when things start opening up you have a show you can put it in there they might not know that seattle has shows on sunday nights there's been so many times where I've, i'm taking an uber home from a show on a sunday night or monday night and then like somebody gets into my car because my dumb ass forgot to do the solo Uber. So I'm now I'm sharing my car. <laughs> and then like, so they, the driver will talk with them like, Hey, what you getting into to the night? It's like, Oh yeah. You know, I, it's not much going on on a Sunday night. Da, 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 da. I'm like, actually, like I just came from a show. There's like another show that was before that show. And then there's a couple other shows going on right now. Like they, but they don't know that. So mm. reaching out to those kind of those communities that aren't really in the music scene and kind of like, you know, dropping some breadcrumbs for them to follow back so that you can start garnering those kind of fans. Cause also those Amazon people and like not just Amazon, but in the tech industry, there's a lot of people that are from other countries. So that person might fuck with that music, but not know where to go to for that music out here. And they hear it and they're like, Oh shit. So when they have their friends come out and visit them from wherever they're from, they're like, Oh, there's a show going on at this place that's hip hop, or there's a show going on at this place that's R and B or whatever the case may be. And now they know that there's other things going on in the city besides what just Amazon posts on their bulletin board for their uh, employee social gathering shit. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. There's so many different art art styles in Seattle that like, there's literally uh, there's space for everyone. Yeah. Oh yeah. There's a, there's an Avenue. There's a space. There's fans for anyone, for everyone. Mm -hmm. Tons of different type of shit. Oh yeah. But, um, I had a great time talking with you, man. And, um, like, I end the podcast by saying this is the NAS podcast and you say your name. So this is the NAS podcast with Sir Nicholas. There we go.